The text for the sermon this day is taken from Matthew 15, which is read earlier and will be woven throughout the sermon. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text begins, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So first you have a few details in there. The first one is she's a Canaanite woman. If you're you're familiar with the Old Testament, you may remember or recall that the Canaanites were enemies of the Israelites. Canaanites were Gentiles. They were descendants of Cain. And there's another reason why she's called a Canaanite in this text, but I'm going to get to that a little bit later. She says the words, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. This calls back two weeks ago when you heard the the gospel lesson of the blind man begging on the side of the road, begging to be... For God, for Jesus' mercy, he said these same words. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And the gospel lesson, which you guys didn't hear last week because we had a snow day, but if you, unless you're up at Zion, the, the reading last week was about the temptation in the wilderness by the devil, the devil tempting Jesus. And here this woman is praying that her daughter be relieved from a demon who is oppressing her. So you can see a nice little connection to the last two weeks. But he, Jesus, did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was, only, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Contextually, that's kind of an interesting phrase because of the fact that you just go back a few paragraphs and you'll read about Jesus walking on water. And then Peter tried to walk on water and he did good until he wavered in his faith and he began to sink. And the words from Peter was, Lord, save me. This text is somewhat of a mirror image of the walking on water. But you're going to see that this woman is more faithful than the disciples were. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. In that last part, you see why Matthew labels that she's a Canaanite. In the other gospel, she's labeled, she's called a Syrophoenician woman. Here, she's called a Canaanite. Now, this isn't a contradiction. It's just simply like if somebody would ask you, if, where are you from? And for example, you might say, I'm from May City. Or you might say on another case, I'm from Iowa, which is true. Well, both would be true. May City's in Iowa. 
So similar situation. But the reason that he was, she's called a Canaanite in this case is because what's another name for the, what is another word for dog? Canine. And that is actually the origin of the word canine, is Canaanite. They were considered to be dogs. And in the time of Jesus being considered, dogs were not your cute little pets. They were, they were, mount, they were mangy, they were unkept, they were dirty. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with dogs. And to be called a dog was about as pretty much the worst insult you can have. See, and so you see in all of this, you can see why there's the detail of this woman's incredible faith. Only two people in the Gospels does Jesus talk like this about someone. The only other one is the centurion, which ironically is also a Gentile, not a Jew, not a child of Israel. It was the Gentiles that were the ones that expressed the greatest faith. She began, so going backwards again, she began by saying, have mercy on me, O Lord. We say that phrase, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, over and over again in our services. Every single Sunday in all of the liturgies, it's there, the Kyrie Eleison. Such wonderful words of prayer. If you don't know what to say in your prayers, but you have something heavy on your heart, you just don't have the words. Lord have mercy is a very fitting prayer. And the th- secondly, the woman underst- is not praying for herself. She's praying for her daughter. Showing the importance of us praying for others. Although this should not just be for our family, but for everyone. Thirdly, she recognizes the great, that her daughter, being oppressed by a demon, is the greatest danger. The devil is a threat. For those of you who weren't at Zion last week, you did not get to hear where I talked about that demon possession is a reality. It really happens. Our, the, Luther's order of baptism has, an, has a rite of exorcism in it. If you've ever seen the movie The Exorcist from the 1970s, you know where the girl's head spins around and spews pea soup, that is based upon a real exorcism that happened at, Saint, at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. In other words, I spent three years only a few hundred feet from where that really happened. It really does happen. And there's some excellent books that CPH has out if you'd like to ever read up about it. The devil is a real threat, always desiring to devour us. And so she is praying that this demon would be gone from her daughter. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't answer. He's hearing her. It's not that she's a long ways away and he just can't hear. It says he did not answer her a word. He's ignoring her. Which is a way of saying, 
No. Again, and his disciples came and begged, begged Jesus, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She is not of the house of Israel. She is not descended of Jacob, who we read about in Genesis 32. So again, a second time, Jesus is saying, no. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Notice she got down on her knees. Your posture when it comes to worship, when it comes to prayer, actually means something. There's a reason why we have you guys stand and sit when we do. It's not just so we can do the Lutheran workout. It's because when you stand, you stand for things that are important. When you go to, if you go to an athletic event, or you, get, you go to, to a sporting event, you don't stand when somebody says, commercial break, woo, yay. Unless they're, I guess they're really good commercials. You stand when there's a touchdown. When somebody scores points, that's when you stand and celebrate. And so the same thing, why we stand is because we're celebrating. It's in honor of something great. Taking it and also kneeling as we do when we come to communion is, is an act of humility. I actually kind of wish that more churches would have kneelers. And I'm not saying we're gonna, we should go try to put them in, although it would be cool if we could, but it's not realistic. But kneelers are actually a good thing to have. When you, when you pray at night, if your knees are still good enough to do it, kneel at your bedside and say the prayer. It's a, it is put, it's a physical act of humility. That's what this woman is doing. She's humbling herself. She's getting down on that dirty ground, which I'm guessing your bedroom floor or the church floor isn't dirt, is dirty as it would be outside. It's an act of humility. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jesus' answer again is no. Three times he has said no. But she, like the parable, the woman in the parable, the persistent widow, if you're familiar with that parable, there's a, woman, there's a widow that keeps coming to this unrighteous judge and begging for justice. And he, she comes over and over again, and finally the judge says, Fine, I'm going to hear her case so that she stop, but stop pestering me. She is doing very much in the same mode. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She didn't deny that she was a dog. She acknowledged it. She admitted to being a dog. See, I mean, imagine this. Imagine you picked up a phone today, you got home, and you decided to pick up the phone and call the White House and say, hi, I'd like to talk to President Barack Obama. Now, we don't have to discuss what you'd want to say to him. Just pretend that you're just trying to talk to the president. 
How likely is it they're like, oh, sure, right away, we'll send right, we'll pass you right on? Or is it more likely to say, let me take a message and we'll th- throw it into the trash? I think even if we were to send an email to the president, we're very unlikely to get a response. Because we are not of significance to him. This woman knew what is the case for all of us. We are poor, miserable, wretched sinners. We deserve all of God's wrath and anger. And yet we come to him in prayer. To a God who is holy and righteous. Who created everything that is in existence. And that keeps everything in motion. We are the ones by whose sin crucified Jesus. And so in reality, we are dogs coming before God when we pray to Him. And that is an incredible faith. To know that you are a dog and come before the Lord and Master of all creation And still pray to him, knowing that he's going to listen to you and he's going to answer. The reason why Jesus keeps saying no is he's teaching something to his disciples. He's planning to say yes, he knows what's going to happen. It's a teaching moment. It reminds one that sometimes Jesus, God says no. Sometimes we need to persist, and sometimes we, because I don't know if you've ever heard people say this. I've heard it's been told. People have told me, just stop praying about that, what you're praying for. God doesn't want to give it to you. Just stop praying. This is an example of, no, keep praying. Until you, unless you have an absolute definite resolution, keep praying. It's okay. God will... You never, God's, this is evidence that God's nose can sometimes turn to yes. Just like if, I always, I kind of think of, this is going to be probably a first for you guys, I think of the show The Simpsons. In the, one of the early episodes, there's an episode where uh, Bart and Lisa are swimming and they decide they want a swimming pool and they go, go up to Homer and they go, and they go, Dad? As you know, we've been swimming a lot, and we've grown, to, we've grown to like it. So before you say no, understand that say no means months and months of, can we have a pool, Dad? 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 And then they stop and say, I understand. Let's go agree to this. And so he ends up buying them a pool. That is, you know, that, the way that they're begging Homer, who's a completely incompetent father, is we could pray that way to God, who is very competent. And know that sometimes he will eventually say, yes. But the reality is also, sometimes he will say no, always. Now when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, when it comes to the defeat of the devil, he says yes every time. When we confess our sins at the beginning of the service, we say, we poor miserable sinners confess unto you all my sins and iniquities. Every single time, he says yes to forgiving you. But when it comes to other things, when it comes to temporal concerns, he may not say yes. 
I think specifically of this last week. This past Tuesday afternoon, I went and visited Ronald Witt, who was in the hospital in Avera, and I prayed with him and his sister, and I got to that point where I should say, Lord, if it be your will, bring him back to health. And I will admit, even as a pastor, we have struggles. And at the moment, I did not have the faith to say that phrase. Because I don't want to say to the, in front of the family, it's very possible he won't get better. And the thing is, within just over 24 hours, just after we had that midweek service, I got the call that they had removed life support. And on Friday, Friday evening, he passed away. This is a reminder that he had been, and I know many of you know Ron because he has connection. Him and, his, and Karen have connection to all three of churches. They got married at Zion, members at St. Peter. Uh, they li- I know Ron lived in Hartley for many years. And so, and, you know, Bailey Anderson, if you know her, she's a granddaughter. She goes to HMS. This, I mean, this is an example of how God's prayer, when we say that prayer, thy will be done. Or yet, not my will, but your will be done. It is not an easy prayer. Because it might mean, it is say, acknowledging that when we're praying for someone to get better, they might not. That it might be that the answer to the prayer to getting better is that they're going to close their eyes from this world and open it in eternity. And open their eyes in the presence of the heavenly host where they are robed in white and thousands snow-clad, mountains bright, beyond count and measure. That's what it might be. Even Jesus, as I read this past Wednesday, when he was in the garden in Gethsemane, he said, Father, Father, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. And the will of the Father was that that cup not pass him. That he suffer the torturous death of the cross. The will was that he were to die a murderer. The only person that never committed a single sin died as if he was the worst criminal ever. And yet in that most evil of acts, God's will through that death, through Jesus' resurrection, brought about salvation and eternity for the entire world. It is the reason why, as I was at, uh, at Ron's bedside on, set on Wednesday evening, going through the last rites, reading the scriptures, it's the reason why we could, we could say what we could pray what we pray. It was the reason why we knew that when he passed away, he entered into the presence of God. It happened because of the death of Jesus. That was God's will. God's will is far greater than we can ever fathom. One of the dangers that we get when it comes to prayer is we get this idea that prayer has power. 
That's a myth that has gone around in the church for the last about 400 years as the power of prayer. Prayer doesn't have power. Prayer is just the means by which you communicate to the one who does have power. God. This isn't basically when you are praying, it is the same as this woman, this Canaanite woman. Jesus said three times, no. The power was not in what she was saying. It was not in her. The power was all in him. And so it is with our prayer. Prayers are not, when we pray, it's not like God is a vending machine. We put in our token, our prayer token, and all of a sudden God's going to answer. I mean, always, I should say, all of a sudden going to say yes. He's going to answer He's not always going to answer the way we want. Because his will is greater than ours. His will is is for the good of all who believe in him. That's why what we pray for does not always come true. It's not because you prayed wrong. It's not because there's something wrong with your prayer. Which is what has been taught throughout the history of the church, sadly. It's because God has another plan. And it's better. Because when that person does not get better, when a person, I think of specific, again, think of Ron. Since September, he's been struggling. The better plan was to end that. To bring him to full health. Far better than his health is in this world. When the answer is no, they're coming home. My angels are coming to take this person. It is saying, I got a better idea for them. And I know you're going to miss them, but they're going to be far better off where they're going to be. And don't you worry. Keep your eyes on the cross. Keep your eyes on Jesus who has power. And he will lead you to see them as well in that same place. God has power and his will is beyond your comprehension. It is so awesome. Have faith in it. Believe that when you say thy will be done, it will be as it is on earth, in earth as it is in heaven. That it is best. In Jesus' name, Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and a life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.